We are going to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14. I have a cold, and so I'm hoping to get through this service without coughing or sneezing or anything. I was able to do it for a service, so bear with me, and uh, hopefully there won't be any weird interruptions. Um, so today, um, we're in between sermon series. Um, and so we normally fill in the Sunday's Between Sermon series with sermons on parables. So today we're going to be looking at the parable of the great banquet. Now the parable starts at verse 15 in chapter 14 of Luke. Uh, but before we read and get into the parable, we need to backtrack to the beginning of chapter 14 to understand why Jesus is sharing this parable and who his audience is. We need to understand the context. So let's start at verse 1 of Luke chapter 14 and see what is going on. <clears throat> Luke 14, verse 1, says, One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. So we see it's the Sabbath. It's the day of rest for the Jews. And Jesus was invited to eat at a Pharisee's house, as well as a man who had an illness. Now, the Pharisees would never normally invite someone like this ill man to a meal because they viewed him as unclean. He did nothing to boost their image. So why was he there? Why was this ill man at a meal with the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees had been trying to catch Jesus, breaking their ideas or their interpretations of the laws on the Sabbath. Luke records this earlier in his gospel in chapters 6 and 13, in which the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to heal someone on the Sabbath, whether it's in the synagogue or at someone's house or along the road. Um, but Jesus knew their intentions, though, and he says the following in verses 3 through 6. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. So Jesus heals the man, sends him on his way, and rebukes the Pharisees by questioning whether they would rescue their own son or their own ox on the Sabbath, which they would of course do so in a heartbeat, revealing their uncompassionate hearts. They could have cared less about this sick man. They were just using him as a way to try to get Jesus arrested. And now this is just the beginning of what Jesus would share with the Pharisees and these local leaders at this meal. Going on to verses 7 through 11, we see that Jesus shares a parable with the invited guests, rebuking them for their pride and selecting the best places to sit at the meal. And then Jesus shares a parable with the host of the meal, in verses 12 and four through 14, rebuking him for his motive to only invite certain people, like Pharisees and leaders, to his house in order to bring more glory to himself, to make himself look good. Now, by this point, Jesus has rebuked all of them for not caring about the ill man. He has specifically rebuked the guests for choosing where they wanted to sit in the house. And now he has rebuked the host himself. You can almost feel the tension in the Pharisee's house right now. Talk about sitting there in a nice, awkward silence. 
See, the Pharisees thought that this meal would be to their advantage. They would catch Jesus healing unlawfully in their eyes on the Sabbath, and they could get him arrested and prosecuted. What happens instead is quite the opposite of what they expected. Jesus not only heals the ill man, but then he teaches all the Pharisees a couple lessons against pride and selfishness. So here they are, sitting in the house of a Pharisee, freshly taught a lesson by Jesus. And Jesus finishes his story in verses 13 and 14, saying, Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now the Pharisees understood Jesus was referring to eternal life, or being with God in heaven, with this final comment on being repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And with the overall awkwardness at the dining table, one of the people at the meal decides to speak up to try and clear the air and move past the awkwardness of Jesus just criticizing them a bunch by commenting on eternal life and enjoying a meal with God in heaven. And this brings us to the beginning of our text for today in verse 15. So I'll pray for us, and then we will read the passage. Father, we are so thankful and grateful that we come together this morning without fear of persecution. That we can be here and singing praises to you and getting into the word and learning from you, Father. Lord, I pray for all of our hearts and our minds, Lord, that they may be open and um, soft and willing to hear from your word this morning. May the words that are spoken transform us into who you desire us to be, who you've destined us to be, God. May we be willing and humble seeking your will above our own. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 14, we're going to read verses 15 through 24, and then we'll break it down. Starting in verse 15, it says, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city, and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and make them come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. So going back to the beginning of that passage, we see an attempt to ease the harshness of Jesus' previous criticisms that we saw in verses 1 through 14 of this chapter. A man at the table states in verse 15, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who will feast with God in heaven thinking it would bring everyone onto the same page. 
Jesus and the Pharisees would agree with this statement, and they'd start getting along now. They could move past the convicting stories Jesus just told them and enjoy the meal now, right? I mean, you can imagine the guy thinking, yikes, Jesus, this meal sure is a downer. And so he shares this quick saying, a blessing, that everyone at the table would agree with. Now, the idea behind this blessing comes from a common Jewish understanding from the Old Testament. And in particular, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. If you want to turn there and read along with me. Isaiah chapter 25, starting at verse 6. So Isaiah 25, starting at verse 6, says, On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So this passage in Isaiah points to the day when God will save his people eternally destroying death forever and having this feast prepared for them to enjoy with him. So the Pharisees and other people at the house understood both Jesus and the man when they referred to the resurrection of the righteous and this blessing of the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. They were referring to being with God in heaven after being saved by him and enjoying this great feast or this banquet that God has prepared. So after the man quickly shares the blessing, everyone at the table would be nodding their heads in agreement, thinking, yes, what a blessing that will be for all of us. Because, of course, these Pharisees and these elite people will be dining with God, eating bread with him in his kingdom. They're so great and perfect at following laws. Why wouldn't they be dining with God in heaven? So they think. So Jesus uses this opportunity to share a third parable in response to the man's brief blessing teaching them about who will truly be in the kingdom of God, enjoying the great banquet. And that is the point of the parable we are looking at today. Who will truly be with God, enjoying the great feast as Isaiah 25 depicted? So Jesus begins the parable in verse 16 and 17, back in Luke 14. So flip on back to Luke 14, and we'll read verses 16 and 17. Jesus tells the man, in response to his blessing. A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. This is our first point for the morning, that God is preparing a banquet in heaven. God is preparing a banquet in heaven. The man in the parable is preparing this huge banquet, like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of party, and he's invited many, many people. And back then, they didn't have Costco, and they didn't have cash and carry, so banquets took a lot of time and preparation, thinking of 
all the meat and the fruit and the vegetables and all the things they had to prepare for this party. So the man would have sent his servant out initially to invite all those who wanted, he wanted to attend, and they would confirm whether or not they would like to go. This would give the man an idea of who was coming, who had RSVP'd, but no date could be set yet since all the party prep took so long. So in verse 17, when the banquet was finally prepared and all ready to go, the man has his servant go back out the second time to let everyone know the banquet is now ready. So people would finish up what they're doing, whether in the house, out in the fields. They'd put on fresh clothes, and they'd make their way to the man's banquet. Now, this kind of banquet, like I said earlier, it wasn't like going over to your neighbor's house on a weeknight for a barbecue. Those are fun. But this was a banquet, a feast, that everyone and anyone would want to be at. Imagine the best party, the best feast, the best celebration you've ever been to. There's more food than you could ever consume, all the drinks and fancy treats and desserts you could ever imagine, and there's tons of great people you get to share this meal with, have fun together, and enjoy the evening together. That's the kind of party this man has prepared. And that is what God is preparing for his people when we get to dwell with him in his perfect and everlasting kingdom. Despite all the other things Jesus disagreed with the Pharisees on, Jesus did affirm that there will be a feast, a celebration in heaven with God. Turn to Revelation chapter 19 with me. Very last book in the Bible, almost the very last chapter. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 6. Revelation 19, 6 through 9 said, Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. The New Testament uses marriage as a symbol of the relationship between the church and Christ, just like the church is referred to as the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. So we see in Revelation, at the end of times, the marriage of the Lamb, or the marriage of Christ, the sacrificial Lamb, has come referring to Christ being united with his church, his bride, in heaven. And at this marriage, or this union of God with his people, there will be a feast, a celebration, a party. It's like a wedding day. And I think it's important to go over this idea of what's going to happen in heaven, because I don't know about you, but my idea of heaven and dwelling with God forever growing up was majorly influenced by whatever I saw on TV. And so when I would picture heaven as a kid, I would see the weird, fat, chunky babies with wings playing the harp, sitting in the clouds, and that doesn't make heaven sound all that appealing, right? But what we do see in Revelation 19, and in our parable today, 
is that we are united with God at the end of time. It's going to be a party, a feast, just like what Isaiah 25 had said. So, there will be a grand banquet with God one day. But who will be there? Remember, Jesus has been rebuking the Pharisees at this meal. And he began this parable because of who the man thought would be blessed in eating with God and his kingdom. So let's continue on in the parable and see who responded to the second invitation, starting at verse 18, back in Luke 14. The banquet is ready and prepared, so let's see who actually comes to the banquet. So Luke 14, starting in verse 18, says, But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. They all began to make excuses. Which brings us to the second point. Be careful not to excuse yourself from the banquet. Be careful not to excuse yourself from the banquet. See, in the parable, the banquet is prepared and ready for everyone to come and have an incredible time. So the master sends out a servant to let everyone know it's ready. And what happens? All of them made excuses, meaning no one was going to show up to this party. Just imagine the frustration of the man hosting the banquet. All these people had said they would come, and now you have no one, no one, showing up for your party. I'm sure some of you can relate to people not showing up to big parties or events. The frustration of all your hard work you put into getting everything ready to make sure everyone enjoys themselves and has a good time, and then hardly anyone comes. The Pharisees understood this too, and even better than we do today, because this kind of banquet was something no one would ever want to miss out on. The ridiculousness of this parable Jesus is telling would make the Pharisees outraged at these fictional characters not attending the man's banquet. And the most ridiculous part of them not attending was all of their lame excuses. In verse 18, the man's excuse was that he had just bought some property and apparently didn't even know what he bought, so he had to go out and see it. No one bought property that way back in their day. And people don't even do that today. Property was passed down from generation to generation back then. And selling property took a long time with negotiations and whatnot. So this man's excuse would be outrageous to anyone hearing it. Besides, he could go to the banquet. He could have this amazing time. And then go look at his new property the next day. It's not going anywhere. In verse 19, the guy said he just bought five yoke of oxen, and he wants to try them out. Once again, another ridiculous excuse. Purchasing oxen back then is like buying a tractor or a heavy piece of equipment for your farm today. You're not just going to go out blind willy-nilly and say, I want those five. No one in their right mind would have purchased all those oxen and not known if they were actually good for working on their farm. And once again, he just purchased them. They are his. They are not going anywhere, so go to the party, man. Enjoy yourself and test them out another time. And then in verse 20, we probably have 
the lamest excuse of them all. I just got married, so I can't come. What man would not take his new bride to the greatest banquet they'll probably ever experience? This is just not smart, man. You're not doing well. Israelite men did have excuses for being newly married and skipping out on things, like serving in the army, as Deuteronomy 24.5 says. But a banquet? Come on, man. Being a newlywed is no excuse to not go and have an amazing time with your wife. And none of these people who had RSVP'd, they knew the party was coming. They knew everything was getting ready and being prepared. None of them would end up attending this man's banquet. So the Pharisees would be outraged right now. This parable makes no sense. These excuses are terrible. And yet the Pharisees haven't picked up on the fact that Jesus is talking about them as Israelites. Jesus is subtly asking them, are you? Are you actually coming to the banquet? You men sitting around this table who think so highly of your religious devotion, who claim to be children of Abraham, are you actually coming to the banquet? Or have you excused yourself from coming? For the Pharisees and the rest of the Israelites had received the initial invite from the prophets in the Old Testament. They had said yes to God's promise, the initial invite of being his chosen people who would one day enter his kingdom. But now the second invite has come. John the Baptist has prepared the way and Jesus is at their table. The Messiah who has come to save and ransom Israel. But the Pharisees want nothing to do with him. They are uninterested, indifferent, and self-satisfied. And they will miss God's heavenly banquet. So for those of us here today, we must be careful not to so quickly assume we will be attending the feast with God in heaven like the Pharisees unfortunately did. For we see with the Pharisees, they did not treasure Christ. They had their different excuses, just like the different examples in the parable. So if Christ is not your treasure, if Christ isn't my treasure, the delight of my own soul, what is or who is? Is it possessions like the landowner or the man with oxen? Is it relationships like the newly married man? What is your excuse? What is holding you back from accepting that second invitation to come and join the banquet that is now ready for you and for me? For a long time, I struggled with the excuse of accomplishments or wanting to be successful, wanting to have that amazing career, wanting to have that job that paid me tons of money so I looked important and esteemed and valuable. And that excuse held me back until I realized the unrivaled value that is found in Christ alone. As Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9 say, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law like the Pharisees were attempting, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. 
I urge you to examine your heart. Look over your life and see where does your heart truly lie? Is it clinging to some false promise of this world? What is your excuse? Fortune, fame, or even a person you're in love with? Or is your heart clinging to Christ and to his righteousness? That may, we may be with him for eternity. The parable doesn't stop here, though, and neither does the ridiculousness of it. Continuing on in Luke 14, starting at verse 21, Jesus says, So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. This brings us to the third point for today. The banquet will have unexpected partygoers. The banquet will have unexpected partygoers. No one is showing up to this grand banquet in the parable. All who had initially RSVP'd are not coming, and the master of the house is frustrated, obviously. So he tells his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city. Bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Here is where the ridiculous story continues. No one in Jesus' day would send for all the weak, poor, and sick to come and attend their party. Parties in the Pharisees' minds were meant to add to their image and to bolster their identity as important and prestigious people. So they would never invite lowly people. So when the master tells his servant to bring in all these people, the Pharisees are even more confused and outraged. But Jesus doesn't stop there. The servant in the parable tells his master, there is still room. The banquet is not full. So the master tells his servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them or compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Now you could picture the Pharisees sitting there with their mouths open, just jaw dropped, staring at Jesus, not sure whether they're more confused or angry at how ridiculous the master is being by inviting all these outcasts. They took outsiders, people who wouldn't even know who this master was, and compelled them to come to his banquet. People who were homeless, living along the highway, and in the hedges and in the trees, are now being brought into this extravagant banquet. The Pharisees are thinking, none of these people deserve to attend. Which is exactly what Jesus wants to communicate through this parable. You're right, Pharisees. None of them do deserve to attend. This, this is called grace. This is what grace looks like. A gift that we could never earn, and it is never deserved. This grace, it's the only thing by which we are saved, though, as Ephesians 2.8 says. It is by grace you have been saved. The sick, lame, poor, and homeless people would not think they deserve to be at such a grand banquet. Just like the people who will enter the kingdom of God know, they don't deserve to be there. They are the humble, the meek, the spiritually empty. Matthew 5, verses 3 and 5 say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. This is who will be enjoying the great feast with God in his kingdom. Not those who think they deserve to be there, but those who know they never deserve to be there in the first place. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For those who are humble, meek, and spiritually empty, they long for God to be their satisfaction, their righteousness, their Savior. These are the ones who cling to God with their whole heart, forsaking all things that they might gain Christ. These are the ones who will attend the great banquet. For us here and now, as a people who live by this grace, this invite to a banquet that we never deserved, this parable begs the question, who are you, who am I inviting to the grand banquet? Who are you compelling to come? Who are you sharing your life with? Who are you telling that you were once lost but are now found, as the parables in the next chapter of Luke talk about? Those here today who know and trust Christ as their everything, their one true God and mighty Savior, who are you inviting to the grand banquet? Who am I inviting to the grand banquet? For we are all called to share this good news that God has provided an invite to the banquet through his son. This brings us to the final verse in the parable. Verse 24, in which Jesus says in Luke 14, For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Not one of those initially invited and making excuses will enjoy this great party. This is our final point for the day. The question are you going to the banquet? Are you going to the banquet? The Pharisees would have reasonably understood this final point in the story. Those foolish enough to turn down the invite forfeited their privilege to attend. And this is where the parable quickly turns into the final rebuke recorded for this meal at the Pharisee's house. Jesus saying, I tell you, in verse 24, is a cue that Luke uses throughout his gospel for his audience to hear the application of the truth from the parable that is teaching. Jesus is telling those at the table, you have been invited. You have said you were interested in going. Are you actually going to show up? Or are you going to have an excuse? Have you turned down the invite into God's kingdom? this invite of faith in the death and resurrection of his son that has freed us from bondage of sin and given us new life? Have you turned down this gracious invite? For those who turn down the invite, they unfortunately trample on Christ and his sacrifice for them. They trample on Christ and his sacrifice for them. Turn to Hebrews 10.26 with me. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 26. It says, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Those who turn down God's invite will no longer experience God, experience God as a gracious host. But instead, God is sovereign judge and forever unable to dwell with him in heaven. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be at the great banquet. And God desires that Israel would as well. Earlier in Luke 13, 34, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who, sent her, who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. They were not willing to gather with God at his great banquet. So they turned down his invite. So, are you going to the great banquet? What excuses are holding you back from going? What false promises has your heart clung to that you need to let go of and cling to God and his greater promises? If you are going to the great banquet, who are you inviting? We are not meant to sit around in this life and be silent, not speaking of God's astounding love. So who do you need to go and invite and compel to come to this great banquet? Family? It's a big one for me. Friends, neighbors, another big one for me, nice and awkward. Outsiders, foreigners, Muslims, those who this world has despised and cast out, the poor, the blind, and the maimed. Go and invite all you can to the grand banquet of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this morning that we were able to come together and be your body and sing praises to you and spend time in your word and hear from you and be convicted by what you say. Father, I pray that our hearts are clinging to you, that there are no excuses standing in between us and the great banquet that you have prepared for us in heaven, God. May we let go of those excuses. May we not let anything impede us from dwelling with you for eternity. Father, may we be bold and humble in inviting those to come to this grand banquet. May we be led by your spirit to know who needs to hear of this great banquet. May we not be timid but may we be bold for you and your gospel, letting the world know that you have a grand feast prepared for us one day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now is our time to respond. If you guys want to sing along, sing praises.